that it's nice where you are and that you are doing well and uh, getting through each day as we uh, continue on through this uh, pandemic that continues to be a struggle for uh, so many. Um, want to encourage all of you who are members of our West Irwin Church of Christ family to, uh, if you were not able to be a part of our uh, worship assembly this morning or were not able to uh, watch it uh, online and haven't uh, tried to do that yet, you can do that on our westerwin.com uh, uh, website and go to uh, our live streaming page, uh, scrolling over social media and resources and then clicking on our live streaming page and being able to see this if you're there right now. And if not, uh, then you will be able to uh, uh, go there and uh, see our archives list and click on uh, the service from uh, this morning. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, Danny Snell uh, had a special announcement and a response from our shepherds by David Hammond. Uh, Danny and Lisa have been a part of our West Irwin family for 32 years or so, and, um, and he announced his resignation uh, this morning, and David uh, shared a comment and appreciation uh, and prayers uh, from all of our church family and from the elders. And so we continue to pray for uh, the Snell family. We continue to pray for our West Irwin Church family. We know that God, as was said in our service today, that God continues to be our guide. As I preached from Matthew chapter 6, verse 13, the first part of that verse in the Lord's Prayer, and that he will continue to take care of them and use them in his service and ministry and helping and serving others as he has done throughout their lives, including the time that they have spent as a part of our West Irwin staff, and that he will continue to do the same with our West Irwin Church family. So we ask you to continue to remember uh, all of them in prayers and all of us. And of course, if you're from another church family, then we encourage you to uh, pre be prayerful for your leaders as well and encourage them and uh, just go to our great God who continues to uh, rule and is sovereign even in the midst of difficult times. We in this study are in the book of Philippians. Uh, as I am uh, leading a series of lessons from Philippians, that great book in the New Testament from the Apostle Paul, I've entitled the series, Finding Joy in Difficult Times. And today's lesson is going to be from verses 12 through 18, and I've entitled it Rejoicing in the Gospel. It is, uh, one of, it is a great, great passage from Philippians 1 that challenges us because of what Paul the Apostle was going through and what was happening to him at the time, and also uh, because of his uh, take on all of that as he comments on it from a personal perspective that ties in uh, everything that is happening to him and everything that he is doing to the gospel and the cause of Christ and the kingdom of Christ. And that's as it should be. And, that's, uh, and so this great lesson is where we will be uh, today. As I said, I've entitled it Rejoicing in the Gospel. I have another title for it, and that is, It's Okay to Be Happy When Christ is Preached. <laughs> and you would think that that goes without saying, but not necessarily so. Uh, it, is, it is certainly the case that we can be thankful and rejoice whenever Christ is preached. Uh, but there are times, I think, when we find that uh, difficult, and that is uh, unfortunate. Uh, and so 
you would think, well, Bill, what in the world, what kind of situation would cause us to uh, not be thankful that, uh, and rejoice that Christ is being preached? Well, I'm glad you asked, because that's where uh, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18, uh, find us today. Uh, when someone is in jail, as Paul the Apostle was, as he writes these words, likely from in jail at Rome, likely at the time of the end of the book of Acts. When someone is in jail, especially for unjust causes, as the Apostle Paul was experiencing, we do not think them selfish for being concerned about their well-being. That seems to be quite natural. You, you would think that they would be crying out for justice and that they would be crying out to be taken care of and that uh, they would be uh, uh, at least have their minimal physical needs uh, cared for. But it was quite the opposite for the Apostle Paul. Uh, it would be very surprising for us to hear about them rejoicing <laughs> in the midst of such an unjust imprisonment. But again, that is exactly where we find the Apostle Paul. And that is exactly what he says that he is doing, even when things get even more difficult than they already are uh, for him. And so we will take a look at this in Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Uh, and uh, I'll read those verses, that passage, and then we'll uh, kind of go through those and comment on them. And I'll share a little bit in a few moments uh, about what it was like in a first century Roman uh, jail cell as Paul was experiencing. So Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true, verse 15, that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? Philippians 1 verse 18 says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. As I said, some really challenging words, some really challenging words as we take a look a little bit more in depth at this passage and uh, find ourselves uh, considering these important words from the Apostle Paul and what exactly it might mean uh, for us uh, today. And so buckle your seatbelt. Our lesson will be finished in less than 30 minutes, or around 30 minutes, Bill says. And I see that we have a lot of our folks already kind of joining on with us. We have some that are viewing live. If you're viewing live and you want to give a little shout out, that's great. Hello to Larry and Lynn Murphy and to my dear sister Norma Sorrells and to Myron and Elizabeth Granberry and to others that will be joining us along the way, not just live, but also those who may watch this uh, later on at 6 p.m. as it's broadcast on our live stream page on the westerwin.com site. 
or on my uh, Facebook page or our West Irwin Church Facebook pages uh, after I'm finished here. Um, so, okay, Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. Several things to say about these very challenging, very encouraging words from the Apostle Paul while he is in jail for his faith in the capital city of the empire, Rome, in the first century. Uh, first of all, Paul's attitude about his imprisonment astounds us. He takes a very unselfish attitude about it and doesn't dwell on the things that are happening to him and the price he is paying, but rather what he dwells on is the good that is coming from the things that are happening to him, uh, even while in jail, the good that is coming for the gospel. Um, Paul realized that his imprisonment had caused the gospel to be known through various means. He saw that his jail time had actually served to advance the gospel. And so that first verse we read, Philippians 1, verse 12 again, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Uh, it's quite amazing that that's where his uh, focus is, and yet it is. His concern is not for himself at a time when he had every right to be concerned for himself, but rather his concern is for the gospel of Christ, for that saving message of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the response of faith uh, that comes along so that we can answer the question, uh, what must we do to be saved? Uh, Paul says that this has actually served to advance the gospel, and we can't help but remember when the church at Philippi was actually first formed. <laughs> In Acts chapter 16, as Paul and Silas and Timothy strike out on what is Paul's second mission journey, the first one with Silas and Timothy, who uh, is joining them as well, uh, what Paul uh, does during that second mission journey is he hears that Macedonian call and they go across to uh, Europe for the first time. Uh, they go into modern-day Greece, into the northern part of that uh, country, and what we would call the nation of Greece, and what they called in the Roman Empire of the first century, the province of Macedonia. And the first stop that Luke records in the book of Acts, chapter 16, is the stop in Philippi. They find a place for prayer, and they go there, and they... Have, meet some women that have gathered there to pray on the Sabbath, and that wonderful woman, Lydia, and her family are baptized into Christ, and she has them stay at her house while they are there. Well, Acts 16 continues on, and while they are there in the city of Philippi, this Roman colony named for Alexander the Great's father, Philip of Macedon, um, while they're there, they have some trouble with a couple of uh, some folks who were uh, taking advantage of a woman who had some special gift that they were using to make money off of her. And she followed Paul and Silas around, and Paul finally healed her of the, um, of the spirit that was inside of her that was tormenting her. But it caused the, uh, the steady income of those who were her masters, she was a slave, uh, to lose their head, red, uh, steady income stream. And so they had put Paul and Silas in jail, and that is in jail in Acts 16 when they have been beaten, they have been put in the inner cell, they are guarded closely by the jailer, and during the night they are singing psalms and hymns of praise to God. 
And the jailer hears all of that, and then the earthquake, and they are released, but they don't leave. The jailer thinks that they are, and yet they don't, and he is about ready to kill himself because of the fate that he knew would be much worse from the Roman authorities if he let them go free. And uh, Paul tells him, don't harm yourself, we're all here. And they talk to him and encourage him, and he throws himself at their feet and says, what must I do to be saved? What can I do to have what you have? And they teach him, they teach his family, he washes their wounds that was put on right there in his jail. And uh, that same hour of the night, uh, that jailer and his family are also baptized into Christ. And so as Paul is writing them from jail in Rome, and he talks to them about the difficulties that are happening to him and, and the evil people that are actually causing those difficulties, uh, the people that are reading this letter that is sent to them from the capital of the empire, they get it because they remember this is how the gospel and the church began there in Philippi and that it was because of the faithfulness of Paul and Silas, even when it meant uh, being falsely accused and beaten and put in jail, uh, that the gospel continued to spread in their own city, and now they hear that it is spreading in the capital city of the empire as well. Uh, Paul being in jail, it was not something that was, um, that was an easy experience. An article on how the apostle Paul suffered in prison uh, says this, Roman imprisonment was preceded by being stripped naked and then flogged, a humiliating, painful, and bloody ordeal. The bleeding wounds went untreated as prisoners sat in painful leg or wrist chains. Mutilated, blood-stained clothing was not replaced, even in the cold of winter. Most cells were dark, especially the inner cells of a prison, like the one Paul and Silas had been in in Philippi. Unbearable cold, lack of water, cramped quarters, and sickening stench from few toilets made sleeping difficult and waking hours miserable. Because of the miserable conditions, many prisoners begged for a speedy death. Others simply committed suicide. And it was in settings like this that Paul wrote this message, this encouraging word to the church at Philippi, from a jail like that in Rome. He had some freedom and he had some uh, privilege there at, at the end of Acts 28 because uh, he was now under house arrest. But when he was in Philippi and he was in jail and he had been in jail in other places and had been beaten and flogged as was just described, uh, this is the kind of treatment and the kind of difficulty that Paul was receiving. And now, as he is in the capital city of the empire, what he writes about are those people who are trying to make it worse for him while he is in jail, while he is uh, incarcerated, whether it's under house arrest or uh, he is uh, actually in a prison cell. Uh, the authorities were making his life worse because of the things that were going on outside of where he was. Um, but his attitude about that is amazing to us because what he says was going on. His focus was on advancing the gospel. And he said as bad as things were for him, they were making it better for the cause of Christ. Um, and so we continue on. 
the Roman authorities in verse 13 of Philippians 1 came to realize that Paul was in jail because of his religion. Paul clearly states in verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard, the praetorium, the official Roman guards uh, of the palace area of the uh, capital city of Rome. It has become clear to them and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So his witness even goes beyond words. The messages that he has given is helping to add some kind of background to what's going on with him. But even the, the teaching and preaching that's going on outside of where he is, uh, that's making his life more difficult on the inside, is making it clear to everyone that he is there because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is not there because he has committed some crime. He is there because of his love for Jesus Christ, because of his love to tell the story of how Jesus died for him and of how others can receive the same salvation and forgiveness that even Saul of Tarsus received uh, when he was baptized by Ananias after coming face to face with Jesus so many years before on the road uh, to Damascus. Uh, Paul's attitude is this is this is going to advance the gospel. That's what's happening right now. Even while I'm in jail, even while I'm under house arrest. And also that he is there because of his religion. He's there because of his faith in Christ and his preaching of the gospel. And that is why he is there. Uh, next, in verse 14 of Philippians 1, the, Roman, uh, the Christians in the city where Paul is at this time had been encouraged to speak out for Christ. And so you have uh, those who were members of the Roman guard and the palace area and everyone on, within, they were realizing that Paul is in jail and he's suffering because of his faith. But what happened because of that to people of faith? Well, they already knew that's why he was there, but the result for them of what is happening with Paul is that they were encouraged and strengthened to do the same. They were encouraged and strengthened uh, to share about the gospel of Christ and what it has meant to them uh, as well as uh, what Paul has experienced himself. Verse 14, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They see what's happening with Paul. They see the price he is paying, and yet they also see his willingness to pay that price. His desire to preach the gospel, even under the worst of circumstances, even while under arrest, even while being treated so horribly, uh, and at times even worse treatment because others are preaching the gospel. For them, they are encouraged by that. And, it, and even though they know it could cause them the same kind of treatment. Because they see Paul's great example, uh, then they are willing to do the same. And you know it's that way today as well, isn't it? When someone is willing to speak out, when someone is willing to stand up for what is right, especially for the cause of Christ, and openly be willing to share their faith, even if it costs them something, especially if it costs them something, Others find the courage to join in and do the same. 
There's no guarantee that it would happen. In fact, Jesus guaranteed us that at times it wouldn't happen, that in this world we would have trouble, John 16, verse 33 says. But Jesus also said in that great verse, I have overcome the world. And so you can be at peace even when there's conflict, even when there's challenge, even when there's difficulty. For the Apostle Paul, he says the same thing. And he says because he was willing to take that stand and pay that price, others who are members of Christ's body are willing to do the same. And again, I believe that's the same today. If we are willing to demonstrate that we are people of faith, that we trust in Jesus, and that whatever price we have to pay because of that, we will be willing to do. And others, I think, will see that, and they will be encouraged in their faith. Sometimes they won't do anything publicly, but they may offer a word to us that says, thank you for being willing to take a stand. Thank you for being willing to share your faith so openly, even when people are making fun of you or... um, even worse consequences. It's not unusual in our country even, and certainly around the world, for people to suffer bad consequences because of an open and willingness to confess their faith in Jesus Christ and to say, I believe, I believe, and I hope that you will too. Uh, Paul was willing to do that, and, and people were helped by it. People were able to see that he was there because of his faith, And people also were encouraged who were people of faith themselves to be just as open and just as courageous uh, in sharing their faith as well. In verses 15 and through 17, we read that Paul's imprisonment generated sincere and insincere Christian preaching. Uh, These are challenging words beginning in verse 15. He writes this about those who are preaching. He says, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. While he is in chains, while he is in jail, while he is under arrest, um, he is suffering, as we read. And For some, they are preaching and teaching Christ not out of pure motives, not out of selfless motives, but out of selfish motives. They have an agenda. They have a purpose. And the purpose is not to share the message of of the love and sacrifice of Christ, but their purpose is to stir up trouble for Paul. And he says that some preach are doing that out of selfish ambition, with an agenda, with a desire to just make his life worse. These are the ones... Uh, who are preaching Christ out of envy and rivalry. They're not doing it to bring people to Christ. They're doing it simply because of their hatred of the Apostle Paul and their hatred of the Christian faith. And so it's interesting to me that Paul's imprisonment had encouraged the preaching of the gospel, though some did so with motives which were not pure. They did it with motives of envy, rivalry, selfish ambition, not sincerely. They did it because of their agenda. They did it to stir up trouble. But there were others who were also encouraged to preach the gospel because of Paul's courage. They were preaching Christ out of goodwill, out of love, out of sincerity. And their purpose was not to maintain some agenda or to bring up trouble for Paul and other Christians. Their purpose was to actually share the message of the love and word of Christ. It seems, and remember, Paul is writing from the capital city of the empire. 
it seems that for some, when there was preaching going on and they had somebody who had already been arrested for this preaching, uh, when they saw that going on on the outside of where Paul was, they would bring it in and they would punish him because of what others were saying and doing who were free. And so you would expect Paul to write to other Christians and say, look, uh, let's tamper that down a little bit because, man, it's really causing me to suffer in here. That's not what he does at all. Or we would expect him to say, look, there are some people out there whose motives aren't pure, and so I, I need you to condemn them. He doesn't even do that. And that's where we differ with him in too many ways. How does Paul respond? How does Paul react? Both those who looked upon Paul with displeasure and those who looked upon him with pleasure and joy and gladness uh, were now busy preaching. Put yourself in the shoes of the Christians at Rome if that's where Paul is at the time that the book of Philippians is being written. This was not a church that was begun through Paul's preaching. Paul didn't start the church at Rome. He wasn't there. Remember, he's not been there yet when he uh, is uh, writing to the Romans. And when he finally does get there, he's under arrest. And he's waiting for his appeal to Caesar uh, to see if he will be convicted and put to death or uh, exonerated and freed. Paul appears there as a victorious evangelist and missionary apostle, uh, but not that way. He appears there rather as a prisoner serving time. Some of the members of the church have heard Paul's story and support him. Some have even made the one to two day walk to meet him on his journey to Rome. In Acts chapter 28, we read that exciting story and we'll be coming to that uh, and not this next week, but the following week as we end our study in the book of Acts on Tuesdays and Thursdays, right here on my Facebook page um, on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 3 p.m. Uh, Central Time. Uh, and so we realized that he was supported by some in the church at Rome there. And so there was some who were preaching out of pure motives, encouraging Paul, continuing to spread the gospel. Others try to distance themselves from the jailbird perhaps trying to spare the church a distorted reputation in the community. Uh, who knows? But both groups are preaching. Some may not even be Christians at all, but their desire is to stir up trouble for Paul, and they believe that the way to do it is by making sure that the authorities know that people are preaching the same message of Jesus Christ that Paul has been in jail for. But here's the thing. Both groups are preaching. One group simply wants their preaching to stir up trouble for the apostle. Um, but one group has pure motives. How would Paul react? How would he respond? We would expect him to condemn those with impure motives, and yet that's not what he does. You see, the apostle, even though it's causing him great pain and hardship, he doesn't focus on people's impure motives. That's not his concern. It's not his concern what it does to him personally. What is his concern is the cause of Christ. And so again, his reaction is amazing to us, rejoicing. Philippians 1 verse 18. Um, what does it matter? As he talks about those with pure motives and impure motives, preaching the gospel, he says this, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached and because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. 
What an incredible statement of faith. What an incredibly selfless Christian man this is who says, look, there are people out there who are preaching Christ out of impure motives with an agenda, and that agenda is to make my life worse while I am here already uh, incarcerated, waiting to hear from Caesar if I will live or die. And yet, he says, my response is to rejoice. The apostles certainly could have pulled rank if these were uh, Christians who were just trying to stir up trouble for him. More than likely, it's, it's uh, the Jews in the city of Rome in that area who were very much opposed to the Apostle Paul and would love nothing more than to see his life taken and to at least find it uh, hardened because of their work, their efforts, their preaching. So what they're doing is they're talking about the Jesus Christ that Paul preaches, but they're doing it not to gain converts to Jesus, but they're doing it so that the Roman authorities will make it worse for Paul because of what's being preached uh, outside. Um, our tendency is to be angry or at least to be defensive, to be defenders of the faith, if you will, or so we claim. But many times it's not the faith that we're defending, but our own selves and our own pride, our own wounded pride um, that's causing us uh, to uh, speak out against those and to judge people's hearts and motives when in reality we know that there's only one who can do that, and that is the Lord himself. Many times with us, unlike with Paul, it's not about the gospel, it's about us. How we rob ourselves of joy by judging the motives of others, trying to do something that we are not in a position to do. We can't tell what's in people's hearts, ultimately, uh, Jesus said, by their fruit, you shall know them. But we know that only the Lord himself can see what's in people's hearts, ultimately, and judge the motives as pure or impure. The apostle, however, had a very different attitude than that. His attitude was to rejoice. It's okay to be happy when Christ is preached. It's an interesting story in Jesus' time when he was preaching in Mark chapter 9, beginning in verse 38 where some of the apostles come to him and say, hey, there was a group that was preaching about you, but they, they're not connected with us. We told them to stop. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't tell them to stop. And then he makes this very challenging claim in Mark 9. He says, whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus knew that it was any port in a storm, and he knew that the storms were coming and were about to get worse. And so what Jesus is telling us, what Paul is telling us by his example is, look, you don't have to question people's motives. You don't have to judge why they're doing what they're doing. You can let the Lord take care of that. But what you can do is rejoice in the good that comes from what they do in the name of Christ. Let God sort out who has pure motives and who has impure motives. As for us, we will continue to preach and practice the faith ourselves, but we'll go even one step further with the Apostle Paul we will rejoice and continue to rejoice when Christ is preached. It's okay to be happy when Christ is preached. You see, some people will do it out of poor motives, selfish motives with an agenda that we might very well question. But we can turn that over to the Lord and we can have our strong convictions, we can practice them, and we can preach them and share them. We can do that in love and kindness and respect and humility. But in the end, we can realize that 
we can let God sort it out. Those end-of-the-world judgment parables that Jesus tells us about, such as the net and, and the sheep and the goats and all of those, um, it, is, it is encouraging to us and liberating for us that it is God and his angels who sort out the faithful from the unfaithful, the good from the evil, the sheep from the goats. We don't have to do that. What we can do is join the Apostle Paul in being grateful and thankful that Christ is preached. Though it's doubtful that Paul was happy about his imprisonment, that would be uh, masochistic, and, and Christians are not that way at all. We don't want to suffer. But when it comes because of our faith in Christ, then if it helps to advance the gospel, the kingdom, then we rejoice and continue to rejoice. Uh, for those who sought to worsen his plight, it is clear it is clear that Paul rejoiced because they helped to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that his life was not about Paul. It was about Christ. And it's not about you, and it's not about Bill. It's about Christ. It's about the gospel. It's about the one who died for us. When we live this way, even if it means suffering some injustice, we will inspire Christians around us to do the same as well. I think one of Satan's most favorite arrows in his quiver is to get us to be talking bad about one another and, and making judgments about people's hearts and motives that we have no business doing and no need to do. God, God can handle that. But what we can do is we can rejoice in the good that we see, in the people that are helped, in the message of Jesus Christ that is spread. Yes, let's stand for truth. Yes, let's try to share our convictions in loving and humble ways, absolutely. But that doesn't mean we can't rejoice at the preaching of Christ. Uh, Paul could do that even while in jail. I think we can do that as well. And the reason Paul could do that is because of what he will say that we will cover in our next lesson from Philippians 1. That great statement in Philippians 1 verse 21, as Paul looked ahead to his fate, not knowing for sure, he had a hunch, but not knowing for sure whether he would live or die, he said, as far as I'm concerned, like my parents from Turkey, when we were in Turkey, when I was in kindergarten, uh, the language we picked up there, we used to say moxniks. Either way, whichever, live or die, Paul said, it's okay. I'll be okay. Why? Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm really excited that next Sunday, we'll be able to talk about that incredible statement and this incredible faith of the Apostle Paul. I will rejoice, yes. And I will continue to rejoice anytime Christ is preached. I will rejoice. May God bless you throughout this week.